I wonder if he actually watched Romance after last night. From the claustrophobic spaceships of cinema, this is the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 28, and my name's Jakob. My name's Nick. My name's Kyle. Great. Uh, well, I'm super happy to have you all with us. Um, so, um, maybe before we start, we should probably just also uh, give do a quick shout out, because Nick's just started a new podcast, and um, that's joined this sort of... Uh, clapper roster of 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 audio greatness um which is called death by adaptation no maybe just nick just uh, say a few words and let's plug plug this on uh, at the very top of the episode and let's let's do it that way yeah this is a new monthly podcast for clapper we're doing a, a book club where we discuss each month two movies and two books focusing on the differences between the written form and the visual form um, differences between the novels and their other cinematic adaptations and it's just a good lot of fun and for the opening episode for the inaugural one we talked about Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which was a, a very interesting discussion and yeah so definitely check it out it's going to come out at the end of pretty much every month on Sunday so stay tuned for that and written reviews on Clapper each month yeah I mean I had the pleasure of guesting on the inaugural episode because I think you'd be mostly doing this with with Ewan um, and then I did listen to the episode today because it just dropped. Um, and um, I stand by every word I said. <laughs> so, you know. Um, yeah, so there's that. Anyway, so ne- uh, last week, what, what did we do? We, last week we talked about Alejandro Amenabar's uh, The Others. So I'm not going to spoil it any more than I already did uh, last week. But, you know, if you, you should probably listen. At least it's less than two hours long. It doesn't happen these days. Um uh, and this week, what are we doing? This week, we're talking about uh, Danny Boyle's 2007 science fiction epic titled Sunshine. Hey, Chris. Yes, Dr. Searle. Please refilter the observation room portal. Filter up or down, Dr. Searle. Down. Icarus, how close is this to full brightness? At this distance of 36 million miles, you are observing the sun at 2% of full brightness. 2%? Can you show me 4%? 4% would result in irreversible damage to your retinas. In simplest terms, like Sunshine tells a story of a, of a crew of daredevil astronauts uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a mission of 
utmost gravity because they are strapped to a massive bomb heading towards uh, the sun, which is dying in an effort to hopefully restart it with uh, use uh, use of some clever physics and I suppose a thermonuclear nuclear, um, um, explosion. Um, however, well, in this, the mission is very long and, and then however, however as, as, you, as you might expect, you wouldn't have a film if there wouldn't be problems along the way. And then, as you may imagine, things don't go to plan. And the mission uh, to save the Earth from succumbing to eternal ice age uh, stands on a, on on brink on the brink of actually not being uh, of 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 not happening. So, so that's the film in in a nutshell. And then it was written and it was written by Alex Garland and directed by Danny Boyle, who's um, signed on to make this. I think I want to say directly after making Millions. Let me just quickly check. I think so. Um, maybe not directly. I think he was supposed to do something else. But anyway, so uh, he he ended up ma- he he ended up making Sunshine, um, uh, based on Alex Garland's script. Who then later on, well, he, with whom he actually uh, collaborated before because they they've done Twenty Eight Days Later together, and then he's also uh, adapted his book called The Beach, which will be an episode one day because I I have a feeling that it's it's also not talked about enough. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the film had a had a had a weird sort of production schedule because I think the production as a, as a whole was kind of all right. However, the re- the release was botched. If and well, I suppose this is an understatement to call it botched because it was moved for by six months and opened in like ten theaters and got like two hundred thousand uh, dollars worth of box office and then effectively actually became a massive box office box office bomb on on like a 40 million dollar budget it actually scored like 32 globally which is not great uh to say the least however despite being fairly positively received by critics and then very positively received by by the audiences and then since then i think it's it's grown i mean it's found its audience later on home media release uh, and gain some kind of a cult status, I think. Uh, and then parts of it, predominantly the score, entered the, co- the cultural zeitgeist because, um, well, later on, and because, well, some some of the adagio of in the minor by John Murphy uh, got borrowed into and, and featured into, I think, in in like a thousand of different trailers and YouTube video essays, for some reason. Um, However, you know, it just it, it just didn't get the conversation it, it, it that I think it deserved, um, which brings us to today, <laughs> because um, even though the film has some kind of a cult status and then it it, it it's been reappraised on home on home video, uh, I think it doesn't it doesn't really have much of a it is it didn't have much of a discourse surrounding it at the time. Um, and even some critics had problems with its ending. Some some critics had problems with its characterizations, with uh, things it says about no, it, well, it, well, things it, it borrows from other science fiction epics, which I think we'll get to. So let me ask you this: What's your take on on Sunshine? Does, did it did it deserve to actually be botched on release and then uh, resuscitated on home media? Did it did it deserve to have that kind of a weird life cycle, or should it have should should it have um, thrived um, the, uh, the way the biggest science fiction epics of all time have uh, have had the chance to. So what's your take on, 
Danny Paul's Sunshine. How about Kyle? Uh, you lead the way. What's your take on Sunshine? So I remember watching this film uh, years ago as a kid and and liking it at the time, but I hadn't revisited it until uh, yesterday. And this is a film where I I understand, I guess, why it was initially a bit divisive. It doesn't really have the conventional flow that you you think it would have like the the plot itself is very conventional but the way that it's told with um Danny Boyle's very um out there style it kind of gives the the movie a unique flavor i i love this film i think that it gets better the more i sit with it the more the more i think about it i think every piece kind of works together to create such a a unique tone and mood specifically in the very jarring editing and sound design it 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 flows very very uniquely from from piece to piece and it's the character the characterization for everybody is is very purposeful and and all of their like conclusions their eventual conclusions are so satisfying because of how that they are set up I think the cast is great. I think it looks great specifically for the the low budget that it had because 40 million is, is not much for a for a science fiction film in this vein and it still looks great. The score by John Murphy is obviously stunning. And even the the very controversial, very maligned third act I think is more thematically appropriate than people like to give it credit for. And even though it kind of throws you off at first, it remains aesthetically uh, unique. Yeah, I, I, I do share many, many sentiments that you just shared. <laughs> I, um, I, I hadn't seen this movie before. I remember it coming out, actually, weirdly enough. I remember like seeing posters around, but never really watching it. Because honestly, full disclosure, I'm not a big sci-fi guy. And when I say sci-fi, it's mostly space sci-fi. Never been into you know all those spaceships and people getting lost in space and missions and all of that. It's probably the only one of very few subgenres I'm just not into. So going into Sunshine, I I didn't really know what to expect. Even with like Alex Garland, I do really like some of his um, some of his writing, uh, Daddy Boyle, some of his movies. Even though I haven't seen all of them yet, but I was taken by surprise in the first two acts. I like the pacing of this a lot. I do love a lot of the experimentation that you mentioned, Kai, with the editing, the sound design. It's 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 chaotic and beautiful at times. It just keeps changing between tones and these beautiful sweeping vistas and cinematography. It's it's a combination of everything that really does come together in some wonderful sequences. And I think the cast is excellent in terms of casting, in terms of performances. But and even thematically, you know, the exploration of space. Alice Garland has always loved to put a mirror in front of humanity and looking back at them and religion and spirituality. And all of those themes are intriguing. But I, I, I do fall in the category of those that once it gets to the third act, it loses a lot. Mainly because it is very it's it's very jarring in a way that they kind of like on paper, but in execution, it's just weird in terms of the effect that they put over basically a slasher villain this turns in a proper horror film in the third act which was, was surprising and that's when i actually figured out oh wait this is an r-rated movie <laughs> i didn't really get it outside of the swear words this gets bloody as hell 
Um, and it's, you know, it's, it didn't ruin the overall experience for me, but it lessened the impact of everything that came before. I think a more proper setup um, and a more organic, or we'd say, execution with the visuals without this villain is approached. I think it could have benefited a lot from it, um, especially given some of the influences that they had um, in the sci-fi genre. I don't think I have seen this in the cinema, even though I, I, I do vaguely remember seeing posters. But then again, now now if I think about remembering seeing, remembering seeing posters, I think my brain may trick me into thinking that it actually has happened. Because that's that's just how beautiful human human mind is. That it can just make shit up for you and just pretend this is your memories. Um, I definitely I, I definitely did see it on home video uh, on a DVD and at the time, and I was blown away. And then in contrast to you guys, I was blown blown away by the entirety of this film. Like I I did I never had problems with its third act, which might as well just get into it in a few seconds. But um, just in terms of opening impressions. I've I, I think for the last so many years I've religiously almost like watched it at least once a year, once a year maybe once maybe sometimes once every two years I'll just put it on because it's just such an easy film to watch. Um, yeah, I totally agree that the ensemble cast is great. Like Danny Boyle as a director has uh, has always been a presence in my life, and he's he he has made I mean he's making every time he makes a film even the ones I don't really jive with. They're all very kinetic. They're all very digestible and very likable. And Alex Garland's writing the same thing. I mean, I like the, the way he, he writes. I like what he writes about. I like the uh, thematic subtext that he always weaves into this film, his, his films, even the ones that are not even related, remotely related to science fiction, like The Beach, for instance. Um, so it was a perfect storm for me because this is a director that I really like, uh, a, um, a writer that I really like, and a very competent cast of actors as well, among whom, like you, you'd see, like Killian Murphy, Chris Evans, Rose Byrne, Michelle Yeoh, and like they're people who are, I think, at the time on at the precipice of being out there. Uh, I think well, Killian Murphy was in his post Batman Begins sort of uh, phase, so he was a, a bit more sort of well known, but then you know. He had worked with um, uh, what's his face, Danny Ball before. Um, so, and then in, as a whole, like I mean, I, I do like science fiction. I do. I mean, not all science fiction, but I, I do enjoy the idea of the, the sort of like the, the darkness of space uh, being um, being a factor in there. So, and then this film kind of just is a bit of a conglomeration of these inspirations taken from like Ridley Scott's Alien, Event Horizon, um, and it has these sort of philosophical connotations that I hope we'll get to later on in the in 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 the conversation. It's an it's a very interesting film, and it actually, for what it actually I think tries to say, as in, um, it has a thematic sort of layer that you can actually you know interrogate, and it actually it 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 snaps it's it's a very sort of fast-paced sort of action film even though um it it may not even look that way for the first like 50 minutes or so uh but it it cooks for me i it's a, it's it's one of my personal favorites and it kind of just it's always bothered me that it's not talked about enough as in like it's never sort of mentioned among the sort of more more sort of uh, influential science fi science fiction films because it's well it never got to have its its impact I think, 
but I, I, I totally think it's, it's amazing. It's great. The score is amazing. The cinematography is great. And I think it's also an, an example of, I think, an early, uh, an early example of how Danny Boyle was embracing these miniature cameras, uh, which, he, which he's now just consistently employing everywhere. Um, it's what well, the edit, edit editing is a standard it, it's just inter- it's a sum of its parts experience and i really really love it so with these sort of like now we know where we stand let's just get into the elephant in the room like i don't want to beat around the bush and say let's just talk about whatever the, let's just quickly think about the third act what so uh, i don't want to kind of just start speaking and just say, this is what i think so I, i'm going to throw it over to you guys what do what don't you like about the fact that the film eventually okay well so it's for those who don't know, and, I, and uh, the, let's just say we're going to spoil the experience. Uh, the film is divided into, ha- into into almost two halves, even though it's technically the third act, but the third act is pretty pretty long, you could say. Um, that involves uh, the crew of the spaceship finding a, uh, the previous mission that failed because they're, the, the ship that they're on is called Icarus 2. They find the first Icarus, they investigate, and turns out that someone aboard the ship um, was uh, well survived, and then they just infiltrated onto, onto their own ship and started sabotaging the mission. And then it, it basically the film turns into a slasher horror film because there's this guy who's just hunting them down, uh, and it kind of just leads into this massive confrontation at the end, uh, which which is amazing in its own right for a whole number of reasons. But the critics at the time didn't like it. They 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 thought, oh, it just turns into a slasher film. And then uh, from what you what I'm hearing here, you also are kind of in this camp. So uh, what what what's happening in here? Why why would you why not, what doesn't resonate in here? What, what's the problem? Well, for me personally, the first time I watched the movie specifically, I remember uh, being thrown off just by the complete shift in tone. Um, However, on on this recent watch, I like the third act. I like it a lot because it's a movie that completely revolves around the the spiritual core of the power of the sun and the way people worship it. And so it it makes sense that if you're having someone worship it in a good way, then there's someone who worships it in in a kind of devilish way, almost like like a cult leader. And, and even stylistically, I know it can throw a lot of people off because of how bizarre it is with, you know, Mark Strong being out of focus uh, on, in almost every shot. But for me, it, it fits, you know, where they are at locationally, how close they are to the sun. It's just distorting and warping. And it also goes a long way towards showing that this guy is not even human anymore, uh, essentially, he's been so warped and changed by his perception that he he doesn't even have a human form, and that's why the out of focus shots uh, work for me. So, in in general, I think it blends far better than people give it credit for. I I, I like it so so much in, in in theory, like the way you're describing it. Like ah yes, but then I'm thinking back on the shots. I was like oh no, it's it's mainly the 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 post-processing that they do on him. I like the idea of having him out of focus. Like you were mentioning, because because you, Jakub, mentioned also the influence on, on um, from Event Horizon, which is very present in the way it kind of looks. The main difference is that here it's not like Sam Neill losing full focus, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a rotting corpse or whatever. In this one, it's 
they, they shy away from showing him. I think both in terms to avoid some kind of ridiculous, I don't know, like the makeup could look bad probably if you're looking at it straight on. So avoiding actually showing him, it's a very clever technique. But it's the constant, like I mentioned, the post-processing, this digital shake and blur just on him. If it were more consistent, as if he carried this horse around him, they could have been more intriguing for me probably. But the fact that it's literally just like cutting him out in every shot, it's like, ah, oh, it's all shaking, it's all moving. It, it, it never really gelled for me, which is unfortunate. And also just in terms of, just in terms of, of, um, of execution as well, just it does turn kind of into a slasher. And I think it's Alex Garland kind of tipping his toe into this kind of climax because I think he did it much better in both Ex Machina and um, the, the other one. <laughs> it's just coming to mind. I mean, um, Annihilation. Yes, Annihilation. I was thinking about a garden for some reason. Annihilation. In both of those endings, it kind of does have... Um, they kind of turn in a more horror direction. Um, Annihilation more so throughout the entire film, but still, it feels more coherent. It feels more organic than in this one. And it's, again, it's something I'm just blabbering on at this point, but it, it, I feel it's more in the terms of execution than, than on paper. I can definitely see that working very well in the script, actually, uh, more so than in how they ended up shooting it. But 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 honestly, I would say, quick side note, for a movie that's come that's from 2007, this looks excellent. And I was looking behind the scenes, and there's so many practical effects. Like you mentioned, the miniature cameras, Jacob, but also just just the sets, everything. It looks great because most of it is real, and it's I I think it's one of those sci-fi movies that is going to stand the test of time over the decade, just in terms of the visuals alone. But anyway, I want to know your thoughts, Jakub. Hmm. I mean, be, uh, yeah, just, okay, well, I'll, I'll keep my thoughts on, okay, well, I'll, I'll divide this into two halves. I honestly don't know where else this film could go, but let's let's just kind of just open this up to, to the panel. Just like, how else would this film actually come to any sort of logical conclusion that would be satisfying otherwise? And I kind of think, think that, well, you, you're introduced to this crew of people and you say, okay, there's this mission that they're on. They're supposed to restart the sun. They're strapped to a bomb, essentially. And then what what's going to happen? Like, there's supposed to be some escalation, some inciting incident, some, something needs to happen. Otherwise, they'll just go, do something, and come back. And that's going to be boring. So... Well, you could you could go the sort of the usual way, and well, someone's going to lose their mind and whatever. And so, but then it essentially will start, turn to a slasher horror, anyways. It's just like it's going to be Chris Evans this time, and, and then and then, and you know, so because they're they're limited in it in in this space. So you kind of, I think I think you are in in a way forced into introducing an external threat. Well, either an external threat or some kind of threat. Otherwise, you're you're just gonna just make make a boring story. Am I correct in here? Well, I, I, I yes, I, I agree on that front actually because it's you kind of need a physical manifestation of of a threat of an evil. But I also believe they could have easily, well, not easily, of course. <laughs> some changes to be made in this case in the script but still i i think just focusing on the threat itself of just their actual mission was was more than enough for me i didn't feel like it actually needed 
this extra, like we mentioned, like an event horizon type of villain that kind of even comes out of nowhere. It's 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 set up in a very not messy way, but you don't think it's actually going to lead to that kind of revelation. I think really? them entering, it's well, that he's still. Right? That he's alive, yes, but that he's like a maniac is no. I mean, it's it's again, it's it's I I per, again, it's more of a personal thing. I think if it focused primarily on on the mission, even with this detour of going to the original Icarus, going inside, finding all the people dead, it's kind of showing what their fate might become in the future. Who knows? Um, I think there's already enough, plenty of threats and problems that they themselves are causing and trying to fight off and survive. That adding an extra element to the ticking clock of the sun dying, well, kind of like, eh, like, eh, you know, it is what it is, ultimately. Like, it's, again, it's not, it's not, it doesn't break the movie for me. It's just kind of one of those things that it kind of brings it down a notch. I think that's fair enough, but, it, you know, to to me, the sort of the fact that it turns into a slasher horror, well, because you're inter- you're introducing the character of Pinbacker, which well, Mark Strong's character, mm-hmm. um, which is, who, who is introduced in the sort of video feed in in the beginning, yes, is on. I think it's a byproduct of the fact that the real villain is the sun, right? Which is which we tend to forget about because the film starts with the image of the sun, right? It starts with this idea of I think I can't remember who the captain is. Oh, geez, what's his name? Cliff Curtis. Yes, he's staring at the sun. Like he's basically just. You could almost convince yourself after having seen this film that he's on the way to become. To 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 become just as mad as as Mark Strong's character has become, right? Mm. Because he just almost worships the sun, and then he just talks about about this to to these people. And I know this is a bit odd, and I always find it odd in science fiction films, where you see a crew of people who are um call them high quality professionals they are these are high flyers this is not just an engineer who just like i don't know like fell off a truck somewhere like these are people who are highly trained specialists like you don't send um bob and karen to uh, save the world like this is these are people who actually are, are highly trained they're extremely smart they know what they're doing so when they try to explain things to them to one another um, it kind of sounds a bit weird because what they're doing is explain the, explaining this, this to me when they say, well, when they have to, I don't know, uh, escape through the, which is in, in a brilliant sequence when they have to jump between the ships and then it's like, well, we, this, this guy doesn't have a suit and he has, he's going to be outside and someone, and Michelle Yeo says, in minus 273 degrees Celsius. I mean, they all know that. The audience may not know that, but they all know that. They don't have to say this to one another, right? <laughs> So, but in the beginning, I think he, um, when he was, he, he then, he's told by the AI, which is an, another nod to 2001, right? Um, that, yeah, well, we are looking is just 2% of the sun's brightness and it's bright enough. Fuck me. I, I don't want, and don't want it any brighter. Right. Um, and he goes like, oh, can I, can I go to 4%? No, you, you can only handle 3.2 at this, at, at this distance. And you show him three three point two, and he's just enveloped by this. And then there's this roar, which is amazing sort of piece of um, uh, filmmaking in a way, because it just gives you the power of the sun is presented by sound. Like we normally just assume, you know, sound. Is, no, I mean, sun is just there. It just it's just light. But the energy has a sound in there. It's amazing. It's just fully enveloping. And then he just talks about it. these people. And, and well, um, 
was it like did, did you not did you not hear this that um if vacuum could carry sound at this at this distance from the sun this the the thermonuclear reaction in within the sun's core as in what produces the light would would give out such a noise that at this distance from the sun it will be constant 290 decibels of roar roaring just that's that's the sound that the sun makes because it's just you know when you go different nasa sounds yeah yeah. because you know when you go when you go into oh let's go into the beach and get some color and just it's you're basically just exposing yourself to thermonuclear radiation from a very large distance that's what you're doing (laughs) so you know it's you know if, if I suppose you'd, you'd get tanned in like if you were far enough from Hiroshima in 1945 in August, uh, or or something like that. But um, but the, the point stands that then, then he goes to the crew and he says, "Well, the darkness of space is black is nothingness, right? Like black is the act, absence of color, absence of energy. Whereas the sun, the 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 inverse of this, the white color of the of the uh, sort of su- sunlight." is enveloping it just it's it's overwhelming and i'm just okay well so he's they're already foreshadowing that this this can mess with your head right so it has to go there i think even whether it goes through like a pinbacker character someone has to go mad and then i think that i think they honest to god i think they go at it very cleverly because well hey i really like the fact that the uh character of pinbacker is always out of focus is always jittery even though it kind of looks a bit shoddy because it's, oh, it's just let's just be honest it's 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 it, well it's it's all of its time mm-hmm. but it's a clever way of a hiding bad makeup because it would have dated horribly if he just showed with these things like him in horizon because he would look like freddy krueger like, like you can see him like, vaguely and you can make out what what they what they put on him right <laughs> And it also, Kyle, you mentioned this. I think this is a spot-on observation. Like it, it makes him a supernatural character. Like it almost makes him look like a like a like a god almost. Like he's well, he thinks himself uh, like he's speaking to a god. Like he, he has the privilege of speaking to the sun. Like he thinks the sun. Well, the sun the sun is theoretically a god in in most cultures, right? And then he's mm-hmm. the last human who would be speaking to God, right? It's it's very interesting, but but in general, it. It works on that level, as in because if it if if you had anything else, it would I think it would have been boring. I I can't possibly imagine any other ending to this film that would be just like they just went to the sun or or they failed. I don't know. It would, I I think it would be a it's it's a very uh, I call it easy way out, but it's effective. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you. I that. After sitting on the film and thinking about it, you know, as a whole, I think that's the way that it should have gone. I think that's the way that makes sense for what they set up, because you'd mentioned the foreshadowing with with uh, Cliff Curtis's character. I think the foreshadowing throughout is just so good. And that's it makes every character's eventual demise so satisfying because they do it in such like a conclusive way. They've set this up. Um, uh, Chris Evans in the cooling room and Michelle Yeoh in the flower garden mm. and maybe my favorite scene in the movie with uh, uh, Hiroyuki uh, Sonata's sacrifice against the solar flare Oh, the cap- um, uh, Captain Kaneda Yeah Oh, it's a yeah. beautiful sequence It's going to make an appearance later on, don't worry Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, I mean, you can see that they're they're trying to like the script is playing with you because they set up the conflict of um, the macho conflict between Chris Evans and Killian Murphy straight up because you almost meet them as they're fighting. Hmm? Uh, it's. I mean, but it's cleverly put together because without even just looking twice, you already know who's who. You know the pecking order on the ship. It's it's almost, I don't want to say as well put together as Alien is in terms of um, screenwriting, but it's up there. Because in, in Alien, for instance, which, which is another point of comparison for me, because in, in terms of the sort of office dynamics on the ship, the sort of... Um, crew chemistry between these people it's very well put together like it's just because some some films you you watch and then you know that these people are pretending and but this these people are believable like and i i believe that chris evans um he's not even the second in command but he he is he fits the type of some of someone who's like mission above all there's this there's the navigator who who um who just thinks about the science there's uh well there's the physicist who's kind of like detached from all this because he probably has an idea that everything rests on his shoulders. And there's um, there's the pilot. I think Rose Byrne is the pilot, and Michelle Yeoh is the sort of science officer in ter- in, in charge of the sort of well, the botanist, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Which weirdly enough, like on this watch, it was I don't know if you guys had this. It looks like an indirect piece of inspiration for High Life as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking actually a lot of high life watching this. Weirdly enough, I th- <laughs> yeah, weirdly enough, I think like high life is, is a bore in some parts, of, but it's, I don't know. I think I prefer high life, even though this was way more engaging. You prefer high weird. life than this? Yeah, it's weird, even though I'm not a fan of high life, actually. Oh, Jesus. They're two very different films. I think, I think high life aims at being consistently highbrow art house quote-unquote let's say um the sci-fi cinema so even though it, it's again it's clear the need is it or miss for me when she hits it's a big hit but when she misses it's it's a bit disappointing and high life was was boring just straight up it's very boring because it's not engaging it's not even trying to be particularly thrilling but it's i think the way that one evolves and changes and it has the time jump as well I think it's weirdly enough more consistent and more and flew better. It's so weird. It's such a weird thing to say, but this one was just more engaging. I think even just thinking about like you mentioned, Alien and the chemistry between everyone. This one has a lot of like uh, it's 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 natural performances and natural characters, but it feels like Alien almost feels like a documentary. Like you're just watching these people live on the ship. Meanwhile, in this one, it does feel like they're, you know, like sprinkling in the setups and this is used to develop the characters and blah, 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 which is not a negative. It may sound like one. It's not. But it's it's it's, it's more like a movie. This is a proper movie. It's, it's, a, it's an entertaining piece. It's definitely an entertaining one. And I think the actors elevate a lot of what could have been more, um, not even one-dimensional characters, because they're not. They're, they're very much not. You can tell they all have backstories. I was reading up on that. I think IMDb has backstories for almost all of them, which is interesting. Um, the fact that they all spend time together on, this, on just trying to bond and feel like a real group, it works. Like you mentioned, just when you see them together the first time, it's like, yep, they, they've known each other for, for 16 months, however long they've been together as uh, awake. So it's, uh, it's very well directed in that sense. 
Honestly, in, in quite a few ways to me, this felt like a precursor to, to, uh, to Interstellar in the way that it tackles uh, spiritualism in sci-fi, in the way that it kind of shows space as a distorting force. Um, but, to, but to get on the characters for a sec, Chris Evans' character in particular highlights the, how well the, the character writing is handled because that character on paper could be such a stereotype of like the, the douchey, you know, guy that always causes the problems, but he, but he's written so well that you understand exactly where he's coming from at all times. And he's, he rides the line because sometimes you can convince yourself if you just took a snippet of a film, you could say, Oh yeah, he's a douchey stereotype of this. He's he's this jock on the board, on board. Right. But then in other times, and it's usually in between the lines of dialogue, like in looks he gives in his sort of like body language, it kind of gives you this sort of that his um, confidence is more nuanced. Like when he mm-hmm. when they when they decide uh, when they're trapped on the other ship, and then he goes like, "We have only one suit, and Kappa's taking it." Like he just made a decision, right? And they have to deal with the other guy, Harvey. And it's like, I'm the captain here. He's more of a stereotype in there. Like, I'm the captain I'll be listened to. Like, you will obey my order. And then, and then he just gives him like, fuck, who, who the hell do you think you are? Like, I'm no, we're doing this. <laughs> so this is where the writing kind of shines through because it's it's not in the lines of dialogue. It's it's how, uh, it's, not the, it's probably the direction. It's probably how they had conversations with both Garland and, Danny Boyle on on the set trying to figure out who these characters are and, and just kind of just to me just underscores how brilliant this film is in in general as an experience. But I totally agree with, I think Nick you mentioned this as well. That this is not, even though it has this sort of spiritualistic sort. Of, I, this is why I like your uh, Kyle. You know, I'm, I'm I'm all over the place. I like the interstellar connection because it kind of just fulfills the same role. As in, you could take it as as a. Um, as a cerebral piece of science fiction, if you want to, but it also su- but it succeeds on the basis of a, of its spectacle. Mm-hmm. So, whereas something like High Life doesn't want the spectacle, it won't be like, I want to be a smart cerebral science fiction, and it's a failure in that, at least in my mind, because it bored Put your me. Your big half boy to death. hat on. <laughs> yeah. just... I mean, it's, it bored me half to death, but. Um, uh, because it doesn't have this sort of tactile feel of something like, oh, you're not like Claire. You're not selling me on the, on this being a science fiction piece. You're trying to pe- to preach to me. Uh, you're trying to lecture me from this high horse of 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 pretense. Whereas this thing, I can I'm on board with this. I can see the tactile sets. I mean, it helps that most of it's practical as well. Apart from mm-hmm. I think images of the sun, I think are fully CGI. In a way, they did some really, explosions, probably. Some explosions, and I think um, the way the sort of the, the little the, the sparks in the in the big bomb, I think they're CGI. Hmm. So there's no photograph photographical sort of photography tricks in there, right? But even <laughs> that stuff still looks amazing. That the scene where um, oh, yeah. they're watching Mercury past the sun is so very good. <laughs> yeah. I was, but then I was looking at this. It's like I present to you. The Mercury, right? And they see Mercury and it's like, it's pretty big. I'm like, haven't they seen it before? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, as it goes around the sun, you know, and it's pretty fucking fast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, okay, fine. But it, but the image of it as, as a, 
on it on, on uh, uh, but just by itself it's amazing especially when you have later on the images of icarus as well mm. it's just a little dot and there's one image uh when the camera is moving uh that's towards the end so you see the ship uh in with sun as the backdrop and the camera moves the other way around to kind of sh to, to show you to the ship from the perspective of the sun and it's just an amazing uh shot in general and it's so it's very well put together like technically so I, I i buy into the spectacle and it actually helps a lot that the spectacle itself once it gets going it doesn't stop because they they realize i think everything starts with this sort of the the beacon right they discover oh yeah there's the beacon from icarus because you know mercury is made of fucking iron or whatever so so we were, we're picking up their distress signal so let's let's do this and then once once they ru ruin i think some calculations because they don't adjust the, the shield which is also a brilliant idea when you think about this in terms of um the storytelling that you have this ship with this massive umbrella in front of it like i've never seen anything like it beforehand so it's just it's unforgettable in a way so it helps it helps it just sells you on the spectacle and actually has this sort of it finishes in this sort of metaphysical way mm -hmm. like it, you can from the moment where okay well he defeats the pinbacker guy and then things start distorting because they they mentioned in the beginning that it's like well if you believe einstein when you're like when energy approaches this then the mass goes into infinity and then if the, if you approach the speed of light and everything kind of just like mass and energy merge into one and just like we don't really know so it's basically the black hole ending of interstellar it's just he doesn't go back into behind the, the bookshelf right thankfully <laughs> no but it, the, the, yes <laughs> but it, but there's this sort of like when he meets the sun and he just touches it like it could just it's it's metaphysical and then it's meant to kind of t leave you with some staring thoughts which i think would be important like a general or member of general audience would probably say no to it if the spectacle wasn't worth it but the spectacle, spectacle primes you to this. Like, I had so much fun. And also, it has something to say. Let's talk about this on the way home. Like, it, what do you think, Barbara? Well, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's inviting this sort of conversation. So I like the idea that it's kind of pop. The, the pop uh, physics of it is kind of sold on the back of very ex a very accessible and um, successful spectacle. Yeah. Oh, and that scene is so very good where he reaches out and touches the sun. I particularly like the piece of music that they use during that scene. They they reincorporate the music that was playing when he was sending his uh his message, his final video message. Mm. And it's it's beautiful. And the and the ending on Earth, the last shots with his monologue just really worked for me. Um also don't make fun of the the bookcase scene from Interstellar because it's very good. Oh no, no, I mean, I, I'm <laughs> it's only tongue in cheek. But um <laughs> Interstellar is my favorite Christopher Nolan film, I think, or at least one of the favorites. I agree with that. Yeah, uh, I think it is my like. Nick, remind me what what did I say? Because that was like a long podcast as well. You it? are the most positive one. Because <laughs> this this film makes me cry. Like Interstellar makes me cry, based on the fact that it's a father daughter film. Like this this sells me on this. When, you, when you, like oh, I'm, I'm gonna cry now. When you see when he comes back into the into the room, he sees Ellen Burstyn and just like she says, "I knew my daddy wouldn't would come back." I'm like, "Fucking, I'm gone, done, I'm done." I'm you know, you, you had me at hello, you know. Oh, at oh my god, yeah, the twenty years of videos scene, the twenty that he has to watch. Ooh, oh yes, when he when he cries 
like 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 an absolute hog <laughs> it's it, and when you when you see your children just in a span of like three minutes just th their life's gone i'm just it hits you you know it hits you it hits it tugs at the heartstrings so yeah interstellar is great this is also great <laughs> um, yes yeah, so, so, sunshine is much more poetic interstellar is, is focused more on the raw emotions of everything um, with an emphasis on the fantasy side of science fiction but I did, I did like that this one was very poetic, very poignant. Like we mentioned the deaths, like Killian Murphy in the end, touching the sun, um, the uh, captain, whatever, just getting destroyed and frozen in space. Um, Michelle Yeoh in the, in the Botanic Garden. Like everything is it's holding very... That, holding that little, little yes. sprout. Uh, it's it, it, it's very poetic. That's what I really uh, appreciated about it. That's what kept me from from disliking the the third act because it's it still maintains those elements that worked so well before. Um, and it's through line. Uh, even the opening, like we didn't mention this, but the opening shot is a modified version of the Fox Searchlight logo, where it just kind of like turns around from from the from the sign and just stops, and then it morphs into the sun. I thought it was a brilliant choice. I love, yeah. I love when they change logos. I just really do. Um, so you'll probably, if you haven't seen Waterworld, then you'll love the uh, Universal logo in there. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you, you know what Waterworld is, is about, yes. right? So imagine this, like there's the Universal logo and you see the world and then the world just, all the continents just disappear, just covered in water. Like basically you have all the all the sort of um, polar caps melt and then it's just everything's covered in water and that's it. And so it kind of just, this is how it, the world's interest is brilliant. Um, world building from the logo. Uh, yeah, but I told, you know, I think the, the one of the reasons why this film's poetic, I think that's the correct way to put it, is because they make a very clever usage of uh, the sun as a character. I can know this is a cliche, right? So, oh, this is a, LA is a character, and this is a character, like, but it kind of is. Like it's almost like the the more you think about it, it's sold uh, on the. I mean, you're led to believe that the sun is kind of just thought of. Uh, thought of it, it's basically like when you think about our cultures, and it's like, oh, you believe God's made the earth in like seven days or whatever, or six days because he took a Sunday off. Um, but it's this in it's always the sort of approximation of how we view the ups, uh, outside world or the natural world, and then without the sun, the natural world wouldn't exist. And this is the real god you're dealing with. This is what this and it has this and makes sounds and envelops you with energy, and it just and it's almost hypnotizing in a way. It's 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 a brilliant character and and it's always present and dangerous. You can't look at it, like you know you know because you'll p turn into a pillar of salt almost. It's brilliant. Like it, it has very I don't know what you guys think, but like to me it kind of speaks almost like on a re religious level. It's brilliant in this way. I think almost I mean, going by the Wikipedia article, I think it this film turned Killian Murphy into an atheist. By the way, <laughs> because he realized that I think I think you may, you may realize that sort of the natural naturally occurring phenomena or even like celestial bodies are responsible for what what we are and where we are and how we look like and how we perceive the world um and personifying them is almost irrelevant now because you can interact with them 
uh, you know, films like this try to interact with these these bodies without personifying them, you know, as a man with a long beard or whatever, or as Jesus, because that's just just a ball of fire that's omnip omnipotent, omniscient. It it's it's you know it knows all. It's always there. It always looks at you, and you can't look back at it because you you burn into a cinder. It's it's brilliant. I don't know where you guys stand on on this sort of religious sort of slant to it. Absolutely, I agree with you. The, the sun totally functions as the deity of this movie. It's what, and it's what gives life. It's what brings death. It is, it is like the balance. And the way that people view it is so important to their characters. Um, Cillian Murphy has that scene where he's, uh, where he's talking to Rose Byrne and he's like, we are about to, to save the world this thing brings life. I am not afraid to die. Um, and she says, well, I am. It's all about kind of duality, how people are, are viewing this, this power that is so terrifying and grand and greater than them. And that's kind of another reason why I like the villains kind of like sun God, crazy persona, um, because he has let it, this power corrupt him. And the fact that just religion and everything, it's its all made by man, constructed by them. So the fact that there's the sun in the sky is just chilling. He's just there. But people give it meaning. They want to give it meaning. I think it's its very its, its very profound, and the way it's tackled. And again, it's, I, I like that it's not, like you mentioned with High Life, I like that it's not just beating you over the head with its themes. And that's always been a strength of, of Garland. So it's 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 very nice. I think it's very it's so weird that she and Murphy became atheist after this. He was agnostic before and then he became atheist. So, so that's I mean, fascinating. Arguably, there's not well, you don't really have to go too far from agnosticism to atheism, right? It's basically just from going from like acknowledging that you don't give a shit to, to actively telling people you're they're wrong. <laughs> so you get tired by all the people talking about this and like, you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. Just leaving. Bye. Yeah, it's, it's usually Changing the other way around. Like it's usually the atheist turns into an agnostic because they're like tired to go to to corner all the Catholics at, at parties and tell them they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, what maybe yeah, maybe i don't know i don't know but you know i'm just i'm being i'm, I'm being facetious but <laughs> but the, the point the point is like i like the idea that the uh, character of pinbacker and then uh, by extension the uh, character of uh i think curtis is his name right is it curtis um no yeah. sir sir Cyril, Cyril, Cyril. Yeah. um yeah cliff curtis yeah that, that's the, the actor because there's a scene with when where Killian Murphy goes into the viewing room and he finds Pinbacker lying on the floor and then he and they have a conversation and this conversation is utterly terrifying to me because then you realize this guy is not only criminally insane he's actually kind of correct because he will be the last man like if if he has his way if he destroys this mission because he's destroyed the other one he will be the last man left alive because you think about this like they go into the into the Icarus one where he spends he has spent six years and it's all covered in dust so that means he doesn't go to the fridge every now and again just to have a sandwich right he just sits there looking at the sun or something like that so what is he eating he doesn't eat anything he's consuming energy of the sun that's what he's doing madman 
just to change tack for 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 a second and come back Kyle to your interstellar comment because if you think about interstellar it was highly touted as like this sort of fit, well scientifically accurate and like um Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson was kind of just saying things he left and left and right about how um oh how, how it makes sense and the filmmakers actually were actually making a point about oh yeah well the black holes have this disc around and this kind of looks the way it should this film also had this sort of aspiration because they had brian cox on board as well um as a sort of scientific consultant so would you would you would you agree that say had it actually have well did it if it had the sort of theatrical release that it should have had this would have actually made an impact the way sort of interstellar did in 2014 or am i reaching no i it's hard to say because i i'm remembering that when interstellar initially came out that also had a very a mixed critical reception if i'm remembering correctly um but I, I don't think there would be unanimous praise for this one just because it's, it's pretty different um, in its, in its execution. Um, yeah. Really it still made like $700 million. <laughs> it did make, yeah, it made a lot of money, but there wasn't like a uniformity in how people felt about it, I guess. Are you talking like if they had not bought your release, like financially or like word of mouth the... and stuff? Because they botched the release in such a way that they made like two hundred thousand dollars in like an open in their opening weekend. Well, that's just Fox Searchlight. They've they've screwed up. <laughs> they've screwed up a lot of a lot of releases uh, over the years like that. Yeah, I think they probably should have marketed it more heavily on the genre, on it being a genre piece, because it's easy to have you know the swelling music and the beautiful shots, and people go, ah, boring. It's like two thousand and one. I don't want to watch that. And just keep it. Um, if it played more for the not horror audience, but if it played it more like a thriller, um, I think it could have been more of a success because people want to be thrilled. No one wants to watch Solaris. <laughs> but this, I mean, I can't even remember how it was marketed. Was it marketed as um, like a cerebral science fiction at the time? I don't even. I, 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 it's so weird that I, I have like weird memories with some movies, and I remember this one having seen the trailer. Might it have been Sweeney Todd? Did they even watch Sweeney Todd in the cinema? Which was weird as, as a 10-year-old. But it was was R-rated, so... Yeah, well, even in Italy, don't really care about that. It was <laughs> oh, like, okay. oh, if it's super blood, it's like only those under 14 can get in. And then if it's like real sex, it's like, oh, anyone under 18 can't get in. And that's it. So Not even you're... Halloween was, was under 14. Like, that was for really? everyone, technically, yeah. So it was, I don't know. I was, you could, I could convince myself if you, if you marketed, marketed this film differently, you could sell it as an alien knockoff. Yeah. And I have, a, and then if you think about this, it kind of is an alien with the sun being the alien or, or the guy being the alien, I suppose. Because yeah. it's, even That's... the ending is kind of like you see, like, the, you know, he wears, he wears a suit for some reason and then. He has to self-destruct the ship. It's all, you know, it fits. It's it's taken from so many different sources. I was really happy with, like, they mentioned freaking Dark Star, the John Carpenter movie, which I hate. I just don't like that film. Um, you could have you could have definitely done some you know misleading trailer marketing for this one to like you know how like every A twenty four film does. 
where they, <laughs> where they, where they make it the genre that they know people will want to see. Maybe it's a switcheroo. Yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then again, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had the opposite problem because even reading up reviews, recent reviews, it's, it's interesting that it's, with some movies, I've noticed like, I mean, we talked about Miami Vice, for instance, mm-hmm. pretty much every review of, of Miami Vice in the last two, three years is very positive. Meanwhile, with Sunshine, reading all the reviews, you still get really? the oh, two star, so. the three star, at least of the people I follow. I follow like only three for only three four hundred people. It's, <laughs> it's 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 a very enough group of individuals. That's what I like about those that I follow, and um, and it's I always find it interesting when it's still very mixed the reception for a movie. So it's not one of those films that's been reappropriated, let's say, in the terms of like let's just all agree this is brilliant. <laughs> which I I don't know if it will ever happen. I think there's a strong enough fan base around it to support it. Um, yeah. And even the fact like you, Kyle, you watched it when you were younger and revisiting it worked even better. I think that can be the defining factor in the next years. I think uh, there needs to be like some new movie that comes out where they're like, like you mentioned with the inspirations, Jacob, it's kind of like, we took a lot from, uh, from Sunshine. And then it was like, let's watch Sunshine. Yeah. That could work. Because even then it's episode, they even mentioned, which is so weird, like in the Kill and Murphy part on Wikipedia, they mentioned that they studied the, the wages of fear as a movie to get the sense of tension. Which I don't, fair I mean, enough. If you I mean, should... if you if you if you say okay, if you try to compare the wages of fear to it could you could see that you could vaguely draw a line, right? Yeah, yeah. Dangerous payload. Yeah. People going mad. Can, Risk yeah. of explosion. Yeah, so I don't know. It kind of fits, but then like you, uh, I'm just scrolling through letterbox reviews of of this, and I honestly, oh okay, yeah, well, there, it, there's even the recent ones. You can you can see some like fairly fairly good re- reviews in here, but most yeah. of most of it, it's still like, oh, the third act is bad. Oh, I don't know, it was mismarketed. Oh my goodness, it's it, it's it wants to be Event Horizon but fails. Oh, <laughs> that's questionable. <laughs> I mean. I'd, I'd like Event Horizon, but but holy shit, like it doesn't really want to be this. Like, I think it's it people... apples and oranges, yeah. Yeah, I think people. I don't know. I think people are just. I think it's a it's a it's a victim of people's expectations. Which then again, it's like I can get someone in two thousand and seven when this came out saying this had bad marketing. But someone in twenty twenty one is like, what marketing did you did you go to YouTube to watch the trailer? Maybe I don't know. Probably, that, that fascinates probably, me. That's probably all it had. But I mean, I would, I would I think, honestly yeah. expect it to kind of come back on the on the basis of it has an early appearance from Captain America. Yeah, and yeah. honestly, it's it's definitely one of his best performances because the easily, and it's so weird to see him not buff. I'm not used to that anymore. He is buff. He is buff. He's, well, he's, well it's, I mean, he's, he's not very, Captain America. He's not <laughs> Captain America buff. Yeah, he's, not, he's, he's not in Cap- shape. But he's then in again, a nice shape. But in Captain America, is he actually that jacked on, or is he, <laughs> or is he enhanced? No, it's is is buff. Looking and looking knives out like those sweaters. They're, they're big yeah. sweaters. <laughs> those sweaters they don't they're gonna explode. They don't hang on them. Like <laughs> no, but he was uh, also kind of buff in like Street Kings. But he was always very athletic, and I think that's all. That also, is. and they all wear sandals yes. as well. It's very odd. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I know I compared this to like a kind of proto uh, interstellar earlier. What I what I forgot to mention was I also think that uh, there's a lot of shades of the Martian, 
with the way they kind of weave uh, science into it, specifically the scene where, where he grabs the insulin from the cabin so they can fly across um, between the ships totally reminded me of, of like the Martians kind of like proto science. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, the, I saw the Martian connection, but in the, in the garden, that's too, for sure. It's kind of like, well, we're going to space on like a seven-year-long mission. How are, how are you going to produce oxygen? Build a garden. <laughs> was that, I don't remember. Was that even in Solaris, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, oh, that's a good question. It probably tells you that I have a massive blind spot that's called Andrei Tarkovsky, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have a question for you guys. How did you feel about the... Um the subliminal editing they start to do when they uh, when they step onto the uh, Icarus one where they're flashing the pictures of the uh, of the other astronauts. I like it. Yeah, I like, I like it. it too. When they like enter the room and there's they're flashing the light and the light just hits the screen and you see the picture of them. Yeah, it was making me uncomfortable in like a in a good way. Yeah. I mean because that's that's a horror technique. That's basically I think I suppose this would be where um, the connection to Event Horizon is the closest because they yes. also have the sort of um, the videos of the old crew, and then it, there's this sort of like distorted thing that you know, like what happens to them later on. It kind of, you kind of almost expect you, you kind of expect something insidious yeah. because you see you see these flashes, and then I, I don't know if you guys thought it that way um, when you see the first sort of flash of the photograph. I actually honestly thought that this was. Uh, not just a photograph, but this was, a, I don't know, some like a disturbing image. But then you realize, oh, what they do a second time? It's just a part of this big team photograph. You yeah, know, it, it seems like it's a disturbing image, like if you don't recognize the fact that it's just a group photo. Yeah. It's kind of like the scene in Seven, almost. I don't know if it's like a direct piece of homage from like what's what's in the box scene and you see just Gwyneth oh. Paltrow just going, it's a, a quick couple frames. Yeah, which which weirdly enough, I don't know. It's it's a I don't know. It's a bit of an urban legend, but some people actually to this day think that you know Seven had a shot of the head in the box, when it's just a photograph of of Gwyneth Paltrow. So yeah, it's just a connection. Yeah, I don't know, but but it's but it's good you actually mentioned this because from 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 the minute this this happens, because okay, well there's this sort of second act little arc where they have to go and repair the ship and then mm. Kaneda sacrifices himself and they go back and it kind of just reinforces the drama on the on the ship but um, in general the film starts going on a completely different sort of like it shifts gears when they enter the other ship almost uh, and to me this like from that point onwards I'm glued to the seat. Like this is it. Like I'm not. I'm not moving because it's just unstoppable at this point. It's just non-stop action, non-stop tension. And yeah. to me, this this sells me on this. Like this is why I don't have problems with this third act. But you know, I, I don't know. I suppose so it's, it's a different cinematic registry, just techniques and stuff. Which it's it's actually something I wrote down in my notes as well because I, sometimes I watch movies with the computer and just type notes randomly. And on the notes was like, it seems like this is going to turn into a horror film. <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but did you guys notice? Um, I'm not sure if this is a piece of homage or not, but they, they enter the other ship and they accidentally drop something down the shaft. 
like this they, they drop something and they made and they made a noise which basically is like that scene in the fellowship of the ring where they go into the mines of moria yeah. and it's like they oh they drop a bucket and this all the orcs are like okay dinner is here right <laughs> so it, to me this was like the, the guy who's on the ship did it specifically because he knew a new, another ship would come and then eventually he would have to deal with someone so yeah it kind of just sells you on this like now you're in a haunted house film but in which i never understood why um because you could level the same criticism towards alien as in oh it just it, it's a cerebral piece of science fiction because there's this ai there's this robot there's with alternative motives there's a company there's this corporate villain that you never see that they want they want this alien for some reason and then it turns into a haunted house sort of slasher horror like because the alien becomes michael myers pretty much no one ever levels this, this kind of criticism at alien but you know like it's fine to do it at sunshine I guess I would argue that that alien shows its hand much quicker than sunshine does. Does it? I mean, it starts murdering people like an hour in, right? <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it. I I don't remember really, the exact like, time. Think about this. Like it, the, it's like first, first half hour is basically just the, it, well, okay. Well, John Hurt has, has the thing on his face. And then I think it's like 40 minutes in it, it kind of pops out of his chest or something like this. And then they, it just hides in the ship. They have to organize something and it just kicks into another gear, like an hour in. So it's almost kind of structured in, in a very symmetrical way to how this is structured. And just, it's, it just has a different um, scope, but, um, but I, I, yeah, at this point, I, I honestly do not, do not agree with, with, with criticizing this based on that. If, especially when, when people don't have, an, uh, have a problem with Alien as well. I, I, think it's, I think it's different the way it's set up in Alien, though. Like, in, in this one, it is very... Even the change, like I mentioned, the change in registry in cinematic terms, like the techniques, it's because it really does become more like a horror film. And it's something that's not present at all pretty much before. It's more quiet. It's more about the beauty of the sun and the interactions between the crew members. Alien, right from the get-go, like right from the opening, like the title card is kind of creepy as hell. You know, like, okay, it's going to be scary. But is it retroactive? Like, if you imagine, like, put yourself in the shoes of someone in 1979 and then think, uh, uh, go into a film called Alien and then just see these people just in silence just wake up and then just talk about stuff and then they talk about their bonuses and they have so it's a bit i mean i suppose it's easier because well they, they go out on a planet and then one of one of them ends up with with something stuck to their face but equally i, I don't think it sets itself up as a horror until things un, until the din well, the dinner scene or the breakfast scene right before before that it's almost like and then if you oh. if you disregard this, and then if, if you put um, what's it what's the robot's name, Ash, <laughs> if you yes. put Ash as a villain in there and the company as a villain, it almost becomes a whole different film. So you could even disregard this being a horror film. I I agree to a certain extent, um, mm. but I but I think the uh, the nature of Aliens kind of slow burn lends itself to creep into horror more than uh, Sunshine, which is already kind of uh, energetic and stylistic. Yeah. yeah, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, because I mean, so, I mean, to me, this is this is the film's strength that once it kicks into that gear, it kind of just speeds up rapidly. So it doesn't. I mean, maybe that's the fault of of it that it doesn't build itself up um, gradually. It's it's sort of quiet. It has a peak where 
they have this sort of little arc with um, Kappa being established as uh, as this sort of almost um, arrival to Chris Evans, and then they go into the other ship and then just goes from there. So just abandoned yeah. in a way. I just just as this is a small detour, but I don't know why it was making me laugh reading it. Um, one of the things I like to do when, when discussing movies, I just I just go to to IMDb and the connections page. They talk about like where it's featured in, where there's its reference, and blah blah blah. And in the featured in section, there's Watch Mojo, which is known as being the number one best YouTube channel out there. And just just to be super quick, like I love the lists that Sunshine is in. You have top 10 greatest astronaut movies, top 10 underrated movies, top 10 worst movie endings, top 10 sci-fi movies of the 2000s, top 10 movie fights in spaceships, top 10 underrated sci-fi movies, top 10 sci-fi movie scores, <laughs> top 10, 10 best... underrated fights on spaceships. <laughs> Top 10 movies that will make you terrified of space. Top 10 modern space movies. Uh, top 10 movies that need a 3D master. Oh. Top 10 British sci-fi movies. Oh, top Jesus. 10 scenes that almost ruined good movies. Top well, 10 good movies be- with bad endings. <laughs> Can you go into the list and tell me what the scene is? Wait, I'm, I'm looking at the Pin Becker is number one. That's what it says. So look, look for what they actually say. What's, what's the name of the list? <laughs> top 10 scenes that almost ruined good movies. And then it's in the scene like top 10 good movies with bad endings. Top 10 smart movies with incredibly dumb twists. <laughs> do you like this movie or not? Because you keep going into like, oh, this is one of the most underrated. This is one as one of the worst endings. <laughs> I think it's all clickbait. But yeah. I miss Watch Mojo. I haven't watched a bit in like six years, probably five years. And to and to think that you know people will like will openly disregard. I mean, will say, oh, this has a dumb twist. This has a bad. This well, basically, the, the, the criticism is leveled towards bad writing. And this is leveled towards a, a, a writer who's now universally adored. And people kind of just think, oh, this is like a child under the stairs. He has like that. No, this, this yeah, they just have one. the character of Pinbacker in general. As really? The, it's, it's their number one. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine what's in the rest of the list. What's <laughs> Probably like some... <laughs> Indulge <story>. me. <laughs> they... What what else is in the list? Yeah. Yes. The the Mandarin reveal Iron Man three, ah. <laughs> which 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 first of all is a funny scene. I don't. Um, it's good. The, I like it. Uh, the tidal wave from Die Another Day. That movie sucks before the tidal wave. I don't. Um, <laughs> it sucks from the Madonna so song. That that big CGI Smith fight in the Matrix Reloaded. Ah. Yep. Yep. Okay. I I I can see that. Yep. <laughs> Now I, got, now, now I got an ad. <laughs> what, 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 what? You're paying Watch Mojo. I'm paying, yeah, I'm currently paying Watch Mojo to watch this shitty list. Watch Mojo the fake, us. The fake, the fake baby from American Sniper. <laughs> <laughs> the scene of Darth Vader yelling no in episode three. Well, the movie's over. The the ending of Return of the King, the reunion, wait, really? Like, yeah, which I don't I mean, agree I, with. I understand that. Like, some people were already in, on their way home when this when, <laughs> when the scene was playing because they thought that the ending was before. <laughs> they faced um, to black like seven times. 
<laughs> Bane's death from the Dark Knight Rises. Really? <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a very strange way they did it. Yellow face, breakfast at Tiffany's. Jesus. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Superman, Superman's flying around the world to rewind it in Superman. <laughs> okay. I suppose That's I, it. I, th- I, th- I suppose the take-home lessons we shouldn't probably take much more too seriously. We shouldn't. <sighs> oh, well, watch Mojo. Oh man, I mean, bless them. I was bless looking them. at IMDb trivia. Did you know that it took uh, it would take five hours for Mark Strong to get into his into his sort of makeup of you know like with his burn scars and everything? Really? Yeah. So it feels like such a waste of time, right? <laughs> Because he's always out of focus. <laughs> yeah, the only time you see it is when they rip the skin off his arm. Yeah. <laughs> Which looks Jesus. great. That looks great. I mean, it's that's, a dope But that's Danny Boyle for you. That's Danny Boyle. When he just does violence, it just it, it hits. That's yeah. just body Yeah, 127 right? hours. Yeah. Oh, you, oh that's that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even want, I don't even want to go there. But, <laughs> but in general, like in, in all other films, like he, he has these sort of like moments of violence that are just some, almost half the time out of nowhere mm-hmm. like they decide which which is a brilliant sort of brilliantly tense scene when they have to decide okay we need to kill one of us because we don't have enough oxygen right <laughs> and then he goes like well chris evans goes like fine i'll do it and then he walks in there and you see okay well the guy took care of himself but the but the sort of image of that like you know what to expect is you see the foot and a pool of blood and but then what you see afterwards is just jesus christ this is graphic yeah so, yeah he goes there that's when i was like oh boy this isn't pg-13 no i i had that same moment i'm like this is r i didn't yeah. because before that there was only like one use of the f word by chris yeah. evans i think yes that's that's yeah. what there was yes exactly and then and then the last 20 minutes are are very violent yeah especially oh, if they were like trying to squeeze it in this is pg-13 right like no but see, no. you could Just easily don't. make it pg-13 Say yeah. like there's a scene where they uh, jump between the two ships, and then Chris Evans gets uh, you know yanked yanked into the in, in, into the uh, into the lock, and then they take care of him. All you need to do is just take the half a second of showing his thumb, <laughs> which is gross. <laughs> but um, <sighs> but, but yeah, but that's Danny Boyle for you. I think I saw. They- yeah. yeah, they add like oh, they always add like one shot to make it R. Like the guy freezes to death in space, but then they show him like hitting something, and his like arm or like one of his limbs <laughs> flies off. it might make an appearance later on because I'm just thinking to myself, what is he made of glass all of a sudden? <laughs> like, I don't know. because they they show him like float away and just hits an antenna and just like shatters into like thousands. Yeah, of pieces. like have you have you tried to do this with like a frozen like leg of lamb or something like this <laughs> it doesn't just scramble that's not how it works yeah it's, it's like, that's pretty much what happens if you, you know like a deep freeze leg of lamb and you hit hit it with a hammer it will just shatter into a million pieces that i don't think that's what's going on but 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 it's followed by a very interesting scene where which is kind of pl- plays into the so philosophical philosophical sort of underpinnings of this because he then just floats away and then just is exposed to the sun. He just like burns like like a like a fly in, um, I don't know, it it just it's gone. It's almost like it's nothing. You stardust. That's what you are. 
Speaking of dust, as stardust, I love the moment where they get on the Icarus one. They're like, there's so much dust here. It's like, oh, that's, that's human skin right there. And it's like, that's quite a lot of human skin, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot of humans, a lot of skin. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you, but you could, you, you could, you could take it apart if you really want to. Like, if you, if you, if I don't you... know. I, I thought it was cool. I was like, yeah, that's, that's neat. <laughs> and not scientifically accurate, but that doesn't need to be. I think that's the problem, especially that some people have that I, just, I never get it. I'm, I'm, I'm very much open to suspension of disbelief in everything I watched, pretty much. Otherwise, I wouldn't enjoy like ninety percent of what I watch. But like, you know, it's it's, it's fantasy. It's sci-fi. It's fiction. Not a yeah. side doc. If you no, were a in, side doc, I'd, I'd, I'd get it. Because it's not. In 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 that scene, by the way, when when they finally find on this, oh, I found the crow, right? Did you guys have this sort of thing that it's it reminds you of something? But because to me, this kind of looked like it was inspired by these sort of um, images of Pompeii. Uh, Pompeii, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. No, it's it's. I think you it, mean the the yeah. Paul W S Anderson movie. No, like the real, like, come on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what what I found really weird, this is like a, a side, but it's about the movie. I was reading the, the IMDb trivia page because I, I do that every time I, I watch a film. And apparently Alex Garland, when he was promoting Annihilation, revealed that he named the character of Harvey after Harvey Weinstein because he was rude and snappy and arrogant and had a superiority complex. Fits, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, it threw me off. I did not expect it. Because he, I mean, the weakest character, honestly. But he, he, I, I agree. Mean, I, I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, but because he, no, he doesn't come out of nowhere because he, he's always kind of like this. Sort of, he has this. Sort of, there's this guy who's insecure in there and just like comes to fruition where he goes like, "Oh, I'm, I'm taking the suit," and they go like, "Well, no, you just stare at him <laughs> like you're not gonna do shit, man." <laughs> Like, could you imagine, like, if, if this is the connection, then imagine Harvey Weinstein being there, being there. He's just like, we're not going to listen to you, Harvey. What's going on? Not only that, you're not going to get, like, I'm, I'm not going to get saved because I'm saving Chris Evans. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's an interesting conflict. It, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not the first time that film producers got, because we just yes. recorded a, the Patreon episode on... Um, Tony Scott and then the Lee, the Lee Donowitz character. Is it Lee Donowitz? Lee character? Donowitz, yeah. Yeah, that's based on Joel Silver. Mm. <laughs> Just a coked up producer. <laughs> yeah, D- Danny Boyle thought it was funny apparently because they the US release of Train Spotting had gotten real fucked up in the in the process. Like Harvey Weinstein had tried to cut all these scenes or whatever. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, it wouldn't be oh. the first time because he I mean as a producer, I think Harvey Weinstein had a very negative influence on, on quite a lot of things because he, I think yeah. he just thinks that audiences are stupid. That's absolutely it's, true, yes. Probably put himself in their shoes. Well, yeah. I, as an audience member... Like, they wanted to just, oh, we're not going to really Snowpiercer because people will not understand what, what's being said when they have when, when you have to have subtitles for things. Like, Jesus, really? <laughs> okay. Um, but, it, but in general, I kind of like that Danny Ball is kind of... His, like have, finding these things funny as in like poking fun at, at, at folks like this because he in general he's a, he's a very sort of mature director like he, he doesn't uh, well that comes back to this pg-13 business he doesn't remake films for kids does he like this is a, this is a science fiction epic aimed at an, an adult audience because it, there's stuff in there that kids should not see so, yeah 
and I think he's one of the sort of few, remaining few that he, I think he's on record. I think I, I may have seen like one or two in, uh, interviews when he's he was actively saying like I'm trying to make films for adults, as in I don't care about uh, entertaining the teenagers, be, I, and I don't care that they're they're the bulk of people or the people who actually go and see the films in cinemas. I'm making the I'm making films for people who are like you know who want ad, adult entertainment. So there's going to be violence. There's going to be nudity. There's going to you know it's that's what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm happy he's doing that. And then he made yesterday. And then he made yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, fair enough. He's, you know, like Steve Jobs doesn't have any, any violence, does it? <laughs> no, but, then, like, but if you think, I mean, he, he, but he does make these films every now and again, like Trance, I think that was one, that was one that was kind of just weirdly violent for no reason, right? Yeah. Uh, it's or, a weird movie. Or even like uh, Train Spotting Two, also weirdly violent for for it, Train Spotting Two and Sunshine have quite a lot in common in terms of like how they're structured because like one of the characters becomes a, a slasher villain in the end and no one cared anyway. <laughs> I haven't seen Train Spotting Two. I did not know that. Really? Me neither. Actually, yeah. Um, what's the guy's name? Robert Carlyle. Big B. That Robert Carlyle? Uh, yeah, that would be Robert Carlyle in there. By the yeah. way, why isn't why isn't Robert Carlyle in this film? <laughs> but um, interesting. But, but it's been it's been on my watch list forever. I haven't seen it. Yet, it took me a long time to get around to actually watching Train Spotting. It took me general, a long time. Yeah, yeah. Just oh. anybody in general for me. I've I I, I watched Slumdog Millionaire when I was young. Mm. When it came out, actually, which was like eleven years old. I watched it in the cinema. Which again, I think it's R-rated, right? Yeah. Well, there's there's quite a quite a lot of violence in there that takes people's <laughs> eyes out. No man, it's a Bollywood musical. They sing in the end, so it's fine. Let well, kids watch it. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a Bollywood musical, and then there's a scene with like child abuse in there or something like that, and then and and a guy gets sh- like I don't know, shot in 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 a bathtub in a in like a scene that kind of just looks like a scene from True Romance almost. Yeah, they get because there's like money flying stuff. everywhere. He's getting tortured. It's 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 a heavy movie. Yeah, and it's still and it's also a Bollywood musical. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I think it's I, one best picture. It did, yeah. I mean, Danny Ball is an interesting director. Always has been, but yeah. Sunshine is actually make... the one. I... Sorry. No, I was just gonna say like last thing was for me from Danny Ball was he was supposed to make the new Bond movie as well, and he got booted out of it. Which I remember today reading up some in yeah. Before Kerry Fukunaga, he was supposed to make the new Bond movie. Wasn't there also problems with Kerry Fukunaga on set? I think Parker so. I'm surprised. Um, but Parker that, Broccoli but, runs the show. But yeah, well, the, well, the Broccoli's have always done run the show, and I think the Danny Bow was kind of like, uh, I think he wanted to take um, to make a few decisions in there. Should have been more interesting, probably. I am uh, excited for this new one, but. I have a feeling that he wanted to kill Bond. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise like, me, honestly. And we'll be like, no, we can't kill him. Like, we, we need to make another 25 films. You see, just uh, Daniel Craig starts crying. He's like, I want to die. Kill me off, please. Don't bring me back anymore. Well, um, they're, they're not bringing him back. It's going to be like Tom Hiddleston or someone like that, right? I I, I, I'm probably. still championing Idris Elba, honestly. Uh, this is a fun favorite. It's never gonna happen, is it? No, it it's wouldn't. It wouldn't happen. Like another one was like uh, was it Gillian Anderson? They wanted or some. Really, they will. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Because hmm. they wanted to turn into a Jane Bond. 
Well, they're probably gonna do it with because I know there's um I don't remember the actress name, but there's a a, a new character in this one. Uh, yeah. That maybe they can do. I think that the scary thing is that now that Amazon owns MGM, well, they, I think, they I think want depending to, on the success of this movie, they're gonna make like a TV show. Yes, I think that's that, that's I think not not only just on the cards. I think that's happening. I think there's gonna be a t- TV spinoff series. But yeah, it's neither here nor there. Fair enough. Um. um yeah. But what I was going to say a minute ago was... Yeah, sorry. I, I, no, no, it's all good. Um, <laughs> Sun, Sun, Sunshine is is maybe my favorite Danny Boyle because Danny Boyle for me is a, is a director who I always like his films. I just almost never love them. Um, mm. There's always something about it that even even a classic, like people say like Train Spotting. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, I had a hard time kind of connecting with it. But there's Sun, Sunshine, I guess it's with... Um, Alex Garland's script that really pushes this one above because it's always the characters that are kind of uh, lacking for me in terms of like my personal ability to emotionally connect. But I think Alex Garland working with Danny Boyle, it's a good combination. Um, It's a good um, kind. They bounce off each other very well. Yeah, I wonder if you'll see them collaborate again in the future. I would love to. I would love for that to happen. Mm. Oh, now he's directing his own things. Is is a TV show, right? I just watched it. Um, what the uh, Debs is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, Debs. No, I mean, with, I, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like it's condescending or anything, but for for people not to get train spotting, I think it, for people to get train spotting, you kind of have to be in the right age range for it, because it Actually, was it was yeah. a product of its time, and I think if you're like, I don't know, if you because uh, it's like a gen x film right so if you if you like the further away you are from gen x you'll be like you don't you don't you know you, you won't even kind of get the vibe of what what it's dealing with right the, the music choice is instantly dated the music choice is dated but the idea of like well these people are just like choosing to to to, to take heroin like daily like what's going on like what's what's the problem right so it, it's very difficult to kind of just identify with these characters because even like the values they, they espouse, the idea of like standing up to the man and whatever, it's just like, what's, what's the point? Like, you know, so, so it, it, it's part of that. I have a feeling like I, I barely identify with it because I think I was just on the tail end of this. I mean, because like in terms of like where I am in terms of like generations, I'm, I'm sort of like the, uh, I think the term for it is exennials as in, because you could, I, I'm mm. sort of like the very beginning of mil, of the millennial age range. Yeah, as in like I had an analog of sort of childhood, but you know, so I don't know. It's it's a so I can I can see, but even though I don't necessarily identify with with that film, like to me, like Danny Boyle kind of just shines with film, films like Twenty Eight Days Later or like The Beach or things like this. This is this is how I see him. I love Shallow Grave. That's probably my favorite of his. Shallow really? Grave, wow. Yeah. yeah. Have you it's, not it's, seen it? Oh, I, I've seen surprise. it. I mean, it's, you know what Shallow Grave always reminded me of? Roman Polanski's films, like from the early 70s. Because it's like, um, or maybe even the early 80s. It kind of looks like um, like a cheap made, cheaply made um, Hitchcock homage. Mm-hmm. 
because there is like a dead body in there and it's it's a, it's a very weird sort of situation but i have a feeling that this is he, he kind of started off as as this kind of dude and, and it's also v- weirdly violent like when they get rid of the body yes. it's just woof yeah but still it's also out it of starts like a comedy and then it just changes and, then, and gets darker and darker and they start like sewing people's legs off <laughs> yeah and may, maybe that's what threw me off when watching shallow grave it's just tonally it was it was very strange uh, experience which is nothing like sunshine. No, because then like it's it's kind of starts from. It, it's also like sunshine because the guy goes mad and just hides in the yeah. in the cellar, right? And like, they're killing each other. <laughs> and they're killing each other, right? But but there's a scene in the beginning when they kind of get this new guy, and it's also like a pure Danny ball because it's the scene is completely unneeded. I could, you could you could do it in a different way, but they show the the guy is dead and he's naked, <laughs> and it's just whoa, full frontal. Oh, geez, it's like I'm not ready for this. It's fine. It's it's nine in the in the morning. Jesus, what are you doing? Um, yeah, but that's it's kind of like he does these things and he does it in Sunshine as well. He does it in all of his films, I think. Well, apart from does yesterday have yesterday doesn't have any of this. I think that's PG thirteen. I think even Steve Jobs was rated because of language, right? Let me check. Yeah, but then again, Steve I think Jobs, you're right. Like, You'd have Did to kind of just warp you? history a little bit to kind of put like violence and, and frontal nudity in it. <laughs> <laughs> the conception of Steve Jobs. No, and yeah. So I, I don't know. I, if, if, I don't know if you have anything else to, to add to this, but I might as well just start wrapping this up. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Do you want to go and uh, final thoughts on Sunshine or should we, or do you have anything else that you want to touch on? Because I, I think I've Apart from just talking how uh, about how amazing the score is, and it's just how John Murphy is a const- constantly underrated composer. Because yeah, he's, I, yeah, I know we've like mentioned briefly the uh, that sacrifice scene with with Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. It it's so good. The build up to it, that swell of uh, adagio and D minor, the every everything about it, even like. It, it's such a good scene that I'm able to like forget about the fact that that song has been so used that it's tough for me to like almost take the scene seriously. You know, it's that thing for me when, when a song is used so much, it, it kind of lessens the power, but the scene was so good that that song works com- so perfectly for it. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's odd because it almost, it almost turns into a trailer. It's so weird. Just by <laughs> having the music there, it's kind of like, Okay, it's, let me, it's, let me like the, it's like the <laughs> retroactive cameo that we keep talking about because yes. it's only ruined by the by the sort of post fact of you knowing where it's where it's where it's been. But if you position yourself it's like uh, if I if I disregard what this is culturally, this cooks. <laughs> Like sure, this, yeah. When when yeah. he's actually just can I can I what do you see what do you feel like this is a like this is a powerful scene, um because and, swelling just... and then kind of comes back again when he just jumps between the the ship and the payload. Just, that's, yeah, that's amazing too. Oh, and the and the image of him just slowly traversing through space and with the sun in the background. It's just it's the film is actually filled with beautiful sort of still imagery. Like you could you could make a whole sort of I don't know I don't know at least. Gallery. I don't know. I could print a whole set of stills and just um, wall, turn this into a wallpaper in my house. It would be great. Uh, another thing that this movie does well that I usually do not like is Dutch angles, because usually filmmakers don't know how to use Dutch angles. And this one has a lot, but it's always used to create 
disorientation. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's, that's the way that they should be used. Mm. Uh, that's not the way that they are used often, but I think uh, this movie understands that. But does, um, does it use Dutch angles as in just, okay, well, or is this the miniature cameras because it, the camera is in the corner of the room and it's just wide angle and just kind of looks like it's kind of tilted. I think there are definitely some actual Dutch angles in there. I kind of by uh, by the end there's quite a lot, but I think it has to do with um, the sense. Well, I, mean, I think yeah, this is the artist. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm a snobby critic, but it's, uh, oh, it <laughs> kind of evoke the sense of threat because you don't like what what you're perceiving is, is is kind of changing, and then by the end when when they're in this payload and the physics kind of get distorted. Mm-hmm. This kind of like I like the sort of interstellar comparison because you it's kind of visually conveying the idea of the laws of physics stopping uh, stopping to make any sense mm-hmm. as well. There's gravity now. Yeah. There's, I mean, oh, the, well, the, the gravity shift, because they, um, they fall, when they, when Pinbacker's hand gets kind of just degloved, yeah, and then they fall, but they fall on the same surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually quite clever. And, and during that whole scene, they do this cool thing with the editing where they just like they stop certain frames. And like they freeze frame it for a couple frames, and then they continue on like like mm-hmm. time is time itself is distorting. I mean, I, I, that's yeah. what I thought. I was wondering if that was probably, which doesn't make much sense. I was wondering if that was a like a censorship thing. Like if you is change it? it a bit, it's I mean, it's better because I, if I don't know if actually seeing the degloving, the MPAA could have been like it's a well, mix. But, but there's the um, the degloving, and there's a few scenes where you see Pinbacker's head kind of just freeze framing for a few seconds mm. so it's not like oh it's an accident right, it's consistent yeah it's there's a few you know once is an accident twice it's kind of like okay and then three times it's a rhythm right so yeah, you know yeah, yeah. It, it looks like it's it's there for a reason and like with the dutch angles and especially in wide angles in general because the sets are claustrophobic but it gives you this sort of false sense of scale because it, it, like half of the film is kind of shot through a fisheye lens as well, because they're all sort of in like these sort of CCTV cameras almost. Like it, they're kind of like squished when they're walking through the corridors. Makes yeah. it even tinier than it actually is. Yeah, and but then like, I, I kind of like um, the scenes where where they put cameras in uh, people's suits as well. It's very mm. very very evocative, and it's also yeah. uh, to me this this is clearly also an, like, an homage to Alien, right? Because that's for also, sure. Yeah, uh, but but this there's the scene in where I think um, Kappa falls in a suit and you know like I don't know how to get up because the suit's very clunky. It's pretty powerful because you just you just hear him just like you, well you, you see half of his face and he's just like slobbering over. It's, it's brilliant. It's a big fast suit, man. I mean, you know, in te- in terms of like production design as well, like we have touched on it a little bit with like the sets being practical, but it's very sort of unique looking sort of like the suits the, sh- the the ship on its own like it doesn't like you know in the 90s you'd, you'd see half of the science fiction films would just look kind of similar because it's just like this is how you do science fiction this is how you do spaceships right but these things are kind of unique unique looking like this the suits that they have look very interesting like they made their gold as well yeah reflecting the sun yeah and even even like certain like rooms themselves are very um uniquely designed like the one where they where they can see like videos from earth projected around them or the scene where cillian murphy is trying to do the um 
the uh, hypothetical of stopping to get uh, to get Icarus uh, Icarus one, and he's watching it go around mm-hmm. like it's it, very evocative imagery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I know. I know it's for the benefit of the audience half the time, but it's kind of like. I, I would love like for Claire Denis to kind of come clean and say that she took quite a lot from it because it kind of like it looks like it's from a from an art house film like there's these elements of, of something that's kind of like more artsy but it's kind of just it's like a best best speckled with it almost right so yeah I don't know it rides the line yeah yeah so I don't know do you want to go final thoughts on on Sunshine because I think I, we're, I don't know I think we might as well just wrap this up uh, in, in one way or another. I think we've kind of just, you know, uh, spent quite a lot, quite a good amount of time talking about this and there's no there's no point going four hours, is it? We need to kind of just, you know, keep it simple. <laughs> you know, I, I bet you money if Jack was here, we'd be still, I don't know, discussing Chris Evans and he, how he likes the idea of having Bruce Willis in there instead. Instead of Yuki Sanada, just put Bruce Willis there. <laughs> It's like Armageddon. It's a callback. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, what, what's your final thoughts? Um, this is a very underrated sci-fi film that I think more people should watch because it is very likely that it has inspired one of your favorite modern sci-fi movies in one way or another. Uh, the cast is great. The visuals are stunning. The sound design and editing are so unique and the mood that this movie creates if you're on board its wavelength i think you're going to have uh, an amazing time watching it i totally recommend checking it out no yeah, so i suppose you're on on on, on board with the idea of calling a gem okay um nick what's what's your take as as a heathen when it comes to space sci-fi for me this is one of the best ones i've watched in recent memory it's not something I usually gravitate towards, but this one has, like Kyle mentioned, just production, stellar. If you're a fan of any of these actors, pretty much you get some of the best acting and characters they've portrayed here. And it's just, it's a very satisfying experience, despite, even though I have some, some uh, reservations with the ending and the climax and everything, it is still very satisfying. It is very beautiful. And it's a deeply poetic movie that manages to blend both these higher artistic goals that they're trying to reach with the more popcorn entertainment, the thriller side of things. It's a nice blend. It's a very nice blend. I, I, wouldn't, I don't love it, but I would still say that it's, it definitely qualifies as an uncut gem. Just to put it in perspective, you just said... I'm a heathen. I don't like sci-fi, but this is one of the best sci-fis I could possibly think about in terms of sci-fis. But then in, in the... I don't want to sound like I'm a lawyer. But then you said, oh, Claire Denise, High Life. I know I, see, I can see the connotations. I didn't really like High Life, but it's because it's boring, but, but yes. High Life is better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that for what you will you Walk me through this logic. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's like saying Solaris as well is better, even though Solaris can put you to sleep if it's the wrong day. Yeah, fair enough. Although I've I still haven't seen I, the Soderbergh I, one, actually. I, st- I still have. I mean, I've seen the Soderbergh one. I haven't seen. T- I mean, uh, I need to come clean. Like this, this will. This I, I need to do something about this. I don't know. Start a retrospective on my side or something like this. Just go through all the Tarkovsky films because he's a massive blind spot for me. I haven't seen. I haven't seen a single film of his. We should go on. Oh my goodness! 
I've seen all of them. Should we do a clapper retrospective on them? <laughs> I'm game. Yeah, super be... game. I mean, it's it's something you have to plan like two months in advance because it's not like I know some people do well, this, like but I don't know films, how. You... Right? Yes, but it's. I mean, I know some people are like <clears throat> I'm doing a, a retrospective on a director and watch like 15 of their movies in five days. Kind of like if you're watching Tarkovsky, you want to just sit on some of them for a bit. There's quite a lot of thinking you need to do, I think. But I'll, yes. I'll be I'll be game for this. So you know, yeah. I'll just you know. Uh, if you're if you're in for 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 you know getting getting on the Tarkovsky train, this will I think we'll do it. We're going to do it one way or or, or another. So you know, get I'd ready. love to hop on. Yeah, that would be great. Um, yeah. So I also think that you know Sunshine is a that's a great film. It's it's one of my personal favorites. I, I'm not going to lie to you because I, I love films like Alien. I love I love science fiction of that kind, and I. Uh, and I, and I love the the fact that it kind of blends the genres in in such a way, and it it's poetic and it's metaphysical. It kind of it is kind of like the middle ground between if you think about how Alien evolved into Interstellar in terms of like genre progression, it's like a middle point between the two. And just I like it that way. I'm sorry, sue me. Like I you know <laughs> I know Jack's probably listening to this and he's like no because <laughs> he hates Christopher Nolan with a passion. <laughs> And he's probably now saying like, no, I don't hate him. I just don't like Dunkirk because Brexit is like Dunkirk. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I think Sunshine's amazing. It's it's a very well put together film, and it, on on all counts, and just it's it's one of those that actually succeeds as a spectacle, and it gives you something to chew on. And I like my films like that way. I like them being. I like they when, them when they're entertaining. I like when they make me think, and. And I definitely don't like when films try to preach to me at all costs. And this one doesn't. It, it preaches to me in a way that's kind of digestible. It kind of just sends, set, puts its philosophy sort of, you know, like a, like you, like medicine you give to a dog in a treat. <laughs> so, you know, so so I, don't know, I like it that way. So let's just quickly go. Top three moments, scenes from Sunshine. Carl, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. My top three favorite scenes, I'd say, are are uh, Pineda's uh, sacrifice on the solar flare, them, the crew sitting down and watching Mercury pass the sun, and Chris Evans' final moments, his sacrifice, I thought was was pretty well done. Fantastic choice. Uh, Nick, what's your top three? My number three scene is when the man gets frozen in space and gets destroyed. <laughs> I was just kind of laughing. I was like, "Oh shit, this movie is violent now." Okay, um, it's it, it was it's a very fun. It was like that, that was a standout moment in the film. And the second best thing is it was the editing, the editing and sound design, um, how the how you see the dreams that they have would just keep falling towards the sun. And that they keep putting those little moments and images, just flashing them throughout the entire film, culminating in the climax. I think all of those stylistic choices are well pulled off and they enhance the entire film quite a lot, setting it apart from every other sci-fi movie from, the, from that era. And lastly, the ensemble cast. I think it's a, just a mwah, just every single actor I mentioned before, except maybe because more of the writing or just Troy Garrity as Harvey, it's kind of like the one note is the only one that you look at and go, this is a kind of a cliche, tropey character. But even then, it's it's not as annoying or as bothersome as many others that we've had in sci-fi ensemble pieces. Wow. Um, okay, I don't want I don't want to repeat myself here because you've just I mean, 
there's so many great f moments and scenes that I could I could pick, and all of them that you just chose are up there for me. So let's just quickly think of other things. Um, the sequence where they have to jump between the two airlocks. So when when he's when they're all wrapped around in asbestos for like air, and that's a very tense scene. I really like it. Um, and with all the sort of um, build up to it, when you know like Kappa takes the suit and everything. That's a great scene. Another one that I really like um, is when uh, Kappa meets Pinbacker in the sort of in 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 the vi vi viewing room, and they have this conversation. It's I don't know. It's it's impressionistic. It's very, it I, I don't know. It's vi visually poetic, and then it, it just kind of sets out all the whole thesis of the film in, in in a way. It's very it's very very I don't know amazing is is the word, and. Um, the moment where he jumps in onto the payload scene is just the culmination of that. Is just I mean, the whole sequence when when he sets the uh, uh, the timer and puts the suit on and then does everything. It's just um, it's an amazing sequence. Um, I kind of love it for that. But uh, honestly, I could probably say the last fifty minutes of him I mean, five zero five, fifty minutes is is great, and that will be a moment for me. Um, anyway, with that, um, bottom three, Kyle, what's the bottom three moments? Bottom three moments, um, I would also agree. One of mine is the character of Harvey. Um, I still mostly enjoy the character, but I think some of his shifts are a bit too abrupt, even though they do kind of set up nuggets of it. I, I don't think he's quite as well written as the others. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't have that many uh, negative moments. It's very hard for me to, to find moments that I dislike. Um, number two, I'd probably say, um, the second fight between, uh, Chris Evans and Cillian Murphy is very, uh, it's shot in very kind of, uh, chaotic close-ups. And I found that to be kind of, uh, disorienting and maybe not the way that they intended it to be. Um, and then, uh, number one. Uh, I am, I honestly would have liked this movie to be longer because while it is really well paced, I, I, I just wanted more because I was enjoying my time watching it. So this is how you know that film's great because it's so difficult to pick three bad moments, right? <laughs> Nick, what's your take? Well, number three is the visual effects on Mark Strong. I mentioned that before. It's, it's, it's something that I like more on paper than in execution. Um, I don't even know if it's just a byproduct of being made in 2007 because there's too many other brilliant effects in here. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, the second one is the changing tone and, and atmosphere. It, becomes, it really does become a horror film. I, still, I think it's a bit jarring, but we discussed that a lot. And, and lastly, it's, it's kind of weird probably, but just the use of the Asian characters because you have Hiroyuki Sanada and Benedict Wong, and I wanted more of them because I thought they were great. And there's some of the first ones that just kind of disappear and go for various reasons. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> Do you I, think I, the film's racist? Because, you know, like, they, they, they're off them. <laughs> no, it's, it's, not, it's just racism. Because, you know, you have, you have Michelle Yeoh. She fits the bill. She survives. She also, you know, she dies. No, but she's, like, <laughs> third to last to just die. <laughs> it's kind of like there's time for her. But it's, it's, it's more of a bias towards those two actors because I really enjoy them. And 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 I thought they were very interesting characters as well. Uh, but you know, it's you need people to die when you have a stacked cast. 
you have to let some people go early on and it's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, honestly, I, I had problems picking three moments or three things I don't like because I, I can explain away quite a lot of stuff. So let's just focus on certain things that kind of irk me. I mean, as much as I like the way Chris Evans's character is, um, is written because he has his moments when they say, well, how are you going to do it? I was just, oh, yeah, it's between me and Trey or whatever. That's a great moment. Like it's, it's written in a very sort of cohesive way. But he has this, this one moment that I don't understand when they have to, because um, it's out of character. Because he's sold as this guy who's like mission above all, and he knows what needs to be done to to make the mission a success. But then they ruin uh, the shield, and they have to go and fix it. And then they say, "Oh, we need we need a volunteer. This is a two man job." And he goes, "I volunteer. I volunteer, Kappa." I'm like, "What? Why? Why are you doing this?" It's just it's. it's... Like, it makes no sense. Like he, he's the physicist. If he dies in there, you're 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 gone. Like you're not gonna be able to to press the button, right? A uh, second one, that it's like when Benedict Wong has this sort of meltdown, is um is a moment that I don't re. Really, I mean, I I I, I don't feel it because it kind of feels like it's it's. I don't know. It's acted in a very weird way. I I, I don't feel it too much. When you just say oh, I forgot and whatever, it's just like it, it, it's it's very acty. Um, and the third one, this is how difficult it is for me to to, to pick up. It's just a logical sort of idea of um, like how how it's kind of written into the script that they have only one guy who knows who knows how to how to how to deploy the bomb. Like how who who designed this? Who, whose idea was this? Not to put two physicists on board. Like what stopped them? Like they have a garden. Like to put more food in there. Like you know. <laughs> so, so that's the. I don't. Know. It's interesting uh, that you bring up the uh, the Benedict Wong scene because I, I I love that scene so much. Yeah. I thought yeah because yeah Benedict Wong was a character that I agree with with Nick. I wanted to see more of him because I because I enjoyed his performance. Yeah. I mean in general yeah but then when he when he just starts shouting it's just when he starts shouting I'm like. Oh. I felt his pain. I felt his, his frustration. It's, it's just something you, you barely see characters in movies who are just kind of like, okay, you know, I fucked up. I was just thinking about those 50,000 gajillion other things. It just happened. Okay, I'm sorry. It's and a freak out. I was like, you know what? I, poor guy. Just, I, mean, I want to give him a hug. And he, he also kind of got the easy way out because, you know, like, oh, he, he has this moment and they all assume it's like, it's, it's Kapov's fault anyway. So who, who gives a shit? <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so that's my bottom three moment. So yeah, sunshine uh, is available to rent and buy from. I think all the usual suspects. I think um, Kyle, you might have to correct me on this. I think it's on Hulu in America. It is on Hulu in America. That's where I watched it. Yep. Yeah, and it's also on Disney Plus everywhere else. I think, um, as in on Disney Star. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it also has a DVD and a Blu-ray release, and I think I'm—I don't have the DVD release of it, but apparently it was loaded with extras. Um, so, so yeah, if you if you can get a hand, get your hands on like a double or three, I think it's like a three disc edition that you that they used to have. It was, it was apparently amazing. Um, it's so, yeah, not so an it, Italian Disney Plus. I was like, it's is it? I was like, yeah, it's not. It's not for some reason we don't have it. No, because it's on. Uh, it, oh, it's on my Disney Plus. I don't know. It's on my shelf, but you know. Yeah, like uh, Ireland as well. I was reading. Yeah. I, I don't understand some of your guys' foreign markets and how you handle like the distribution of 
Do you do you guys still not have HBO Max? No, no, no. <laughs> it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess, dude. It's a mess. <laughs> and then now you also have like Paramount Plus and Discovery. If, 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 if anyone has Paramount Plus, yeah, it is technically available to us. Like, I don't, <laughs> whether I, whether you get it is another question. I think our Patreon subscription is more successful than than Paramount Plus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone see that like Anton uh, Fuqua movie that came out on there? Like Infinite. Infinite. It was yeah. supposed to come into our cinemas, by the way, in the UK, because it was like straight to Paramount Plus, right? They like decided that it was straight to Paramount Plus like two weeks before it came <laughs> out on Paramount Plus. Yeah. <laughs> they knew they had a banger on their hand. <laughs> it looked oh, so bad. bad. But I want to watch it because Antoine Fuqua, it's like, I don't know. It's it, like we talked about Tony Scott like last night, but he's kind of like that guy, that guy. He makes these movies that I kind of like. Even though they're schlocky, but I wish I, they were better. That's the only thing. <laughs> actually, fun fact: I know it has nothing to do. Some with are good. No, I, training day, come on. No, no, no. I mean, like training day, the first equalizer, I like a lot as well. But weirdly enough, I actually downloaded recently a, a fan edit of the Magnificent Seven because I wanted to rewatch the film again. And I remember someone made a fan edit that like changed the music to have the uh, the, to the original, <laughs> to the original one, yes, the original scores, <laughs> and they removed like the revenge subplot and added some deleted scenes. I was like, you know what? I actually want to watch that. I'm a I'm a sucker for fan edits, but I, I used to watch them a lot. But it kind of tells you that, like, you know, it's like, oh, if you remove 30 minutes of film, change the score, and do this, then all of a sudden it's good. That means the film. It's actually good. five. It's actually <laughs> five minutes longer. <laughs> I don't know how they they managed to do that. There must be a lot of deleted scenes, I guess. I remember moderately being entertained by Magnificent Seven. I, I saw it, it years well. ago. Yeah. In football, I can't remember. Did he do Tears of the Sun? I think he did. Mm, yes, I haven't seen yes. that. I liked it. Yeah, I haven't watched that one. I mean, he makes these stuff, but the movies that kind of, the kind of movies that like Taylor Sheridan makes now, <laughs> it's just like Western, Western. Those Spraddle. Who Wish Me Dead. Yeah, that was, that was a very. Yeah, it's a, he makes dad films. That's what he's making. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and, and, and that's the weird thing about the infinite because you look at it, you're like, why Anton Fuqua? Well, they, make they, the big it, it was a job, and they paid him. Yeah, <laughs> that was, well as well. <laughs> they used Antoine Fuqua as like a director for hire because you wouldn't see him as like a guy to like work with a bunch of CG heavy like sequences no. or. Yeah, Antoine Fuqua should just make R-rated movies. That's the problem with Magnificent Seven. They cut around the violence. Well, yeah, yeah. Fallen was R-rated, wasn't it? Yes, I right, I like it a lot. <laughs> are both are both equalizers already? I think they are. I think yes. so. Yes. I, think yeah. so. I never I never watched this. Well, the, the first one is a very good time. Second one is weird. <laughs> I kind of we're not supposed to, but no, it, it's kind of off topic already. But like no one even mentions that Antoine Fuqua is a very <laughs> successful black director. Yes. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know. Uh anyway, but no, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually seeing if Infinite kind of just goes anywhere in the uk because as you say it's a you know the, the release market especially when you when you have like the streaming services limited theatrical windows and then direct to streaming like hbo max i don't know like some films we never even got a release in the uk because they were just went straight to video into hbo max so we and you're in the uk <laughs> yeah i know I, I, I know i talked to you nick a couple minutes ago about this but but um Jakob, uh, do you also not have the Green Knight in in Britain yet? Is it no, just they, not they, out anywhere else? Um, they pulled. They pulled the release. Is it just out in America? 
Yeah, they, they pulled the release wow. at the last minute because we had what we're going through a spike in cases, even though like deaths and hospitalizations are very, very low. But I think uh, they, oh, wow. they, they had a severe case of chicken. And they said, they said, okay, we're not risk, we're not risking this. So they pulled the release, as in like it's TBA. It's not like it's delayed to like September. October. It's just like, off the radar. It's just wow. off the radar. Yeah, they took it off. It was supposed to be out next week. It makes no sense because no one's gonna watch that movie. Like even without. <laughs> yeah, like why would they? De- why delay that one? Uh, yeah, of all things, of all things, why delay that one? I think the yeah. the, the, the follow the follow up is they will de- delay the Bond. Mm. Oh well, in the if it's just in the UK, then yes. No, they they will never do this. They they will never release a Bond film in America and not in the UK. This is not going to happen. They're going to pull it. They're going to pull it and delay it because a Bond Bond is an is is a a British thing. And if you have the have the Yanks have it first, it'll be like this is acceptable. Like they better not pull this fucking movie again, man. (laughs) God. It's it's been so long. I remember buying the Heineken bottles back in March last year. I'm like just bomb. waiting. I'm waiting for October to save this year because this year has been okay for movies, and October has every good movie ever Dune. coming out. When's when's Top Gun coming out? That's uh, that's next month. That's August. Well, Top Gun or is it September? No, I, I think, think it's November. Christmas. November. Wow. I think they moved it again. I'm gonna look. Um, they, there's a, there's not even a point to print marquees or oh it is November yeah anything it's because okay. it just keep changing every time it just changes uh, yeah yeah wow it's third third of October 1986 I think I'm looking at the wrong Top Gun <laughs> yeah because yeah I'm, the poster still says July 2021 for Top Gun so that's there what threw go. me off yeah yeah it's it's, it's I don't know it, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, it's a mess. It's it's it, it, I can't, I, I'm telling you, it's a mess. Anyway, I think that's is it. This is it for this episode for of, of the Uncut Gems podcast. Where can we find you all on social media, and where can we find your work? Kyle, go first. Uh cool. Well, you guys can follow me on on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kyle Craigbaum. That's K R I E G H B A U M. Also, I have a podcast. Um, it's called Kyle and Jordan and Kyle and Jordan's Cinema Shakedown. We talk about movies, uh, new releases, movie news, all that sorts of stuff. Um, it's on Apple. It's on Spotify. Anywhere you get podcasts. Cool. And, you know, go listen to the podcast. It's cool. Um, Nicolo, where can we find your stuff? Plug your stuff. You, you can follow me on Twitter at NickyGround97 and Letterboxd to just Nicolo Grasso. You can watch my videos and short films on YouTube at Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies. And uh, yeah, like, like you mentioned before, just you can listen to this new Clapper podcast, Death by Adaptation, just anywhere. It's, just, it's Apple, Spotify. It's coming around. Is it already on Apple? Because this morning I checked, it's on, it was only on it's Spotify. It's actually not, but give it time. It's going, give it time. I think it takes a few days for them to, because it's, it's yeah. still fresh. I mean, by the time you listen to it, it's going to be everywhere. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you can also find me at Talk About Film on Twitter and as Jacob Clash on Letterboxd. You can also find uh, our work on Clapper on, at www.clapperlt.co.uk. And my stuff you can also find on clashonfilm.com. Uh, you can also follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also uh, follow Clappercast at Clapper Podcast and f- Death by Adata- Adaptation, which is at Death Adaptation, I think. Yes. Um, so that's the uh, Clapper Podcast universe, C- the CPU uh, <laughs> growing. 
Um, yeah, so you can also support the show with a one-off donation by buying us a coffee at coffee.com slash uncutgemspod, or you can also subscribe to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash clapperltd if you want to get some more podcasts from us, um, which, um, well, we recently re- released a um, uh, spoiler review of old, and then uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, the Tony Scott retrospective that we just recorded yesterday uh, should be should be live in there, where we talked about Crimson Tide, the Days of Thunder, Domino and True Romance to sort of celebrate the man's work because August is a, at least in my mind, is always a, mo- mo- a month of remembrance of this man's work. So you go and subscribe to our Patreon. Two bucks a month gives you at least two podcasts a month, and one of which is classic Clappergast, the other one's whatever else we're doing, a, a retrospective, a debate, or whatever. Um, that's it, I think. That's everything. So be sure to tune in next week when we'll be talking about um, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting debate, I think. Uh, so be sure to tune in to that. And for now, I hope you have a fabulous day and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.